Reading our Bibles regularly can be a challenge, but we're all on this journey together. We're praying that this podcast inspires you, helps you better understand God's Word, and builds your faith. This is Join the Journey with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. I am in the podcast studio with today's Devo writer, Miss Jenna Biddick. Hey, Emma. Jenna, welcome back. You took over for a few days when I was out, but now we're here together, which is so fun. And so I say we just jump right into it. I love it. Okay, John 4, set it up for us. What are we looking at? Okay, so we open John 4 with the Pharisees having some issues with Jesus, just a classic. Classic. Jesus, on the other hand, he's like, I've got some ministry to do. So he leaves Judea, he leaves the Pharisees behind, and he begins his journey back to Galilee. On the way, Jesus has an opportunity to pass through Samaria. And here's a little lowdown on Samaria. Jesus was a Jew. And due to some historical and cultural drama, Jews were supposed to go around Samaria to avoid interacting with any of the Samaritans. Now, being aware of this cultural reality, Jesus, our Savior, walks straight into Samaria and strikes up a conversation not only with a Samaritan, but also with a woman. This is beautiful. Um, I hope we remember the book of John was written with the audience of the whole world in mind. And so I love the message that this story is proclaiming to the world, that the kingdom that Christ is ushering in by his life is one that unites all people under his love. That's good. And if you've ever wondered, hey, what is this kingdom of God about? This story is it. The kingdom of God breaks down and restores any sort of pride, tribalism, and hierarchies. Entrance into the kingdom of God through Christ restores dignity and life to those who are marked by shame, sin, and death. This restoration is exactly what happens to this woman in John 4 when she meets Jesus. Something to note about her, all growing up, I was taught to view this woman as a loose woman who just couldn't seem to keep a husband. Yeah, like promiscuous. Yeah, but Scripture just isn't that clear about this. While this could have been the case, there are other options that might explain her story. For one, she could have been barren, which would explain why men in that day wouldn't stay with her. Or some of her husbands could have died. At the end of the day, the specifics of her past and how she ended up in her current reality isn't the point of her story, nor does it excuse her sin. The point of the story is that Jesus sees all of her and he loves her. So Jesus sees all of her. He, he knows her past. Regardless of how she got there, he knows it. And he knows that it'd be in that day and probably still today, to some extent, something to be ashamed of. And he loves her. How does that truth that Jesus could see everything about a person's past and still love them translate in your own life? I'm glad you asked. Um, I'm somebody who really struggles with perfectionism. I don't want others to see my sin. And when they do see it, I fear that they then won't choose me or love me anymore. And I know that this also affects my relationship with the Lord. So when I see the false story of perfectionism creeping up in my life, I notice myself wanting to hide my sin from God out of a fear that His love for me and His affection actions towards me will change if he knows. Mm. And that's why I love this story, because Jesus knows 
everything about this woman before she even has the chance to tell him. He initiates towards her, he exposes all of it, and then he offers her living water, promising that whoever drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. I touch on the significance of this water in the Old Testament and how it relates to John 4 in my Devo if you want some more information. Yeah, let me me read some of what you wrote because I thought it was really good. You said, in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, the Lord says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And then you you commented on this first. You said, You see, we all have dug cisterns for ourselves, trying to find life and satisfaction outside of Christ. The Bible calls this idolatry. But the problem with idols is they satisfy us just enough to keep us coming back for more. Jesus offers us living water, a deep well of abundant life and satisfaction that never runs dry. And this living water is offered to us freely. We don't even have to dig for it. After encountering Jesus, this isolated, shame-filled woman left the well changed. She left her water jug behind and went out proclaiming one message— Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. And as you fast forward through chapter 4, we read, Hey, many in this town believed because of this woman's testimony. And I love how beautifully you you set this up, Jenna, talking about idolatry, because John 4 is the first example of a testimony. So someone's personal story about how Jesus has changed the trajectory of their life forever. And in a testimony, we get really three parts, who we were before Christ. So that's the woman saying, hey, come see see this man. He told me everything I ever did, everything about my past, how we met him. She's at the well offering him living water, How, which in our context would be, hey, how did we come to believe the gospel in Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection? Romans 10, 9, and 10. And then after, what does our life look like now that we have placed our trust in him? And that doesn't mean we tie it up with a bow and act like everything's fine. Life still might be, and reality is, it is hard after making that commitment. But this story of how we have a renewed hope in light of the brokenness that still exists in life can be really impactful as we share the gospel with others. So what does that look like for you? How do you think about testimonies? Yeah, well, I think— Each of us, if you are a believer in Christ, you have a testimony. You have a personal story. And I think it's one of the most powerful tools of evangelism that we have because it's your story. Nobody can take it from you or argue their way out of your story. It's the story of how a personal loving God sought you down personally and saved you. If you've never taken the time to write out the story of who you were before you knew Christ, how you came to know Him, and then what your life has looked like since, I would encourage you to do that. And what I love about each of our testimonies is that even though they are unique to each of us, they all have the same underlying message. And it's the one of the woman at the well. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did, and that man loves me. If you've never thought through it, I challenge you to take some time and reflect and write it down. I promise you that it will only lead you to worship. Jenna, that's so good. Before we move on, I want to interject something. I think sometimes we believe this lie 
that says, hey, I don't have a good testimony if I grew up in the church, or I don't have a good testimony if I didn't struggle with drugs, or if I'm not like the woman in John 4 and have slept with all these people um, or had all these husbands. But the reality is whether that's your story, like you're like John Elmore and you used to be an alcoholic, or you are the church kid who came to know the Lord at six years old, the work God has done in your life is still a miracle that you've moved from death to life in Him. And so I think I think you're right, Jenna, to say, hey, regardless of what your personal story is, reflecting on it moves us to worship. And here in verse 23, Jesus says, true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. And so as we wrap up, Jenna, what does Jesus mean when he says true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth? Yeah, great question. Uh, I think the scripture Jesus answers it for us uh, later in John. In John 16, verse 13, Jesus promises the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Mm. And then earlier in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus also says that he himself is the way, the truth, and the life. So we see that God's spirit leads us into all truth, and that truth is Christ himself. So true worship is God's truth empowered by God's spirit. True worship is fueled by the triune God in action. He gives us everything that he requires of us. That's awesome, Jenna. So good. I wish we could keep talking, but we're out of time. So thank you for being here. And as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. The Join the Journey podcast is produced by Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. You can learn more about Watermark by connecting with us on social media. Just search Watermark Church, all one word. And to read along with us, visit jointhejourney.com. And thank you guys for listening.